This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Love the tunes, love the tunes. Love Greg Wyshynski from ESPN. Hello, Wish. Love you, Merrick. Oh, look at you. Pucker up, Buttercup. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you want to keep this going for like 45 minutes? I mean, I, we could. I, I, for, I mean, there's a segment of your listenership that used to listen yeah. to the podcast that has probably spent many a day on Tumblr envisioning 45 <laughs> minutes of you and I ex- exchanging love notes. Just blowing kisses to each other. Yeah, that's, uh, oh, yeah. that's cozy. That's Absolutely. cozy. Uh, let's talk about another great combination as we kick things off here. And I want to get your thoughts on a number of different things. But the dish again marked its one-year anniversary Greg Wyshynski, the dish again. Do you have a thought one year after on the dish again? This is, of course, Trevor Zegras and Sonny Milano against an unsuspecting Uka Pekalukinen. Yeah, I have two thoughts. First of all, I thought we all agreed we were going to call it the Zegras. I've seen the dish again. <laughs> I've seen the Michigan pass uh, was yeah. on my feed today. It's the Zegras. Give, give the man his props. He invented a move. He invented a move. Right? It's, Didn't he? Like, we, we couldn't call it the Zegras? I don't know. It's just a high pass. Just like I look at the Michigan itself and say it's just a wraparound. Okay. Have, have you uh, spent uh, some time at the local rink and seen guys? Mike, listen, uh, my, he, my kid did it. passes from behind the net? My kid, my kid did the Met. He was so thrilled. He finally pulled off the Michigan in practice during a drill on Monday oh, night. Awesome. And it's like the biggest, he could not get the smile off of his face uh, for like two whole days. He'd get, Mom, Mom, I did the Michigan. And then he was all, you know, upset because I didn't record it. Because everything, kids now, everything has to be recorded, right? So, yeah. So, tell me, that didn't happen. Didn't happen. Didn't happen. This, he never did. This it. was going to be, this This was a, a signature move created by one player. Mm-hmm. It should be on his Hall of Fame plaque one day, should he be so lucky. <laughs> to call it a dish again or a Michigan pass yeah. devalues the fact that, that Zegers invented this whole cloth. And it, to the point where EA Sports rushed yeah to put it into their next edition of the video game because that's how epic the move was now my other thought is that uh for you and for a, a certain segment of the listenership Sonny Milano is the Marty Jannetty of this movie. <laughs> Sonny, Sonny, and, and here's the thing: he shouldn't be. He shouldn't be the Marty Jannetty of this move. He, he made, should be. He did the getting, hardest, the harder part. He's the one that did the harder part. In. No one would care about this highlight. EA Sports is not coming to knock it on Trevor Zegers' door if Sonny Milano doesn't score the goal. It becomes a footnote. It becomes a move that we all go, well, if if only one day that was completed, we'd have ourselves a heck of a Mm. highlight. No, 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 no. It was completed because Sonny Milano scored an incredible goal, and yet he is a footnote to history. He is on the receiving end of the Doug Flutie Hail Mary. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, who was that guy? No, but you're right. Like the no best, one knows. The, 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 be, the best he's going to get is best supporting actor for that one. At Precisely. very, at very best. No, that is that. Is, that is know, an excellent I point. I don't even know if this earns Sonny Milano a, a table at a at a card signing show. Like that's what a footnote he is on this move, and he, but, should, he shouldn't be. But, but he is. But, but how is. how many times is is Trevor Zegras in his life going to sign the picture? of him behind the net flipping it to Sonny Milano behind yeah, the Buffalo right. Sabres. He'll be signing that picture forever. Right. And, and then Sonny Milano to, will be standing there going, I got, I brought my Sharpie. You know, we got a picture of me like putting <laughs> yeah, this thing in the net. He's going to ask one of those unwashed masses that hang outside the hotel during the All-Star game. He's going to be like, hey, should I leave some room on this picture for Sonny? And he's going to be like, no, that's okay, Trevor. Uh, you could just shine it as big as you want. 
I laugh because it's true. Uh, uh, geez. Okay, where do we go from there? Okay, what you know what I wanted to talk to you about today? There's a, there's a, there's a few things. Um, we talked so much about trends in the game, and you and I have talked about lead changes plenty. We did a lot on this in the third period, uh, comebacks, etc. Um, just me though, or is the league getting more violence, or oh. is it just that the violence now? And we look at like, and this by the way, this is all clean violence. Right, this is like Jacob. I know everyone loses their mind when I say Jacob Truba hit clean, but mm, sorry, Jacob Truba hit clean. Um, Jacob Truba hits uh, Rasmus Stalin on Matt Nieto on Sunday. Like we're looking at a lot of players stepping up and are more comfortable doing it now than we have in the last however many years, Greg. Where it was always like you would go by the bench. Like there used to be a time in the NHL where you'd go by the bench. And the one thing you'd always hear from whether it's coaches or other players is finish your check, finish your check. And then that turned into good stick, good stick, good stick, good stick, right? Stick on puck, stick on puck, stick on puck. And now we're getting back into finish your check, finish your check, finish your check. Just me or is there something there for you too? Well, first of all, finish your check is good because I think here's my theory on that. The league is now a transition game league. Like, it, it is very much odd man rushes, create off the rush. That's where we are as a league right now. You finish your check, what happens? Puck it's turns harder over. harder to get back. Hard, puck turns over or it's harder to get into the play. And so it, uh, from a tactical standpoint, it might be good to, to you know, wipe somebody out of, of the rush because then that reduces the chances of your team getting caught uh, with the other team having numbers. Um, the Dalit hit was great, by the way. That yes. was some legit old school cronwalling on that play. And I really appreciated it. Um, I think your, your first point's the correct one, which is that uh, much like a nine, eight game only resonates for 24 hours because it's become commonplace, mm-hmm. a legit booming injurious legal open ice hit has become the exception to the rule. And so when it happens, it becomes a point of debate. See Chris Pronger, I believe on Sportsnet, right? Yep. Yep. Uh, talking about the uh, Anathanasiu comments about how Jacob Truba earns $8 million, he can't score a goal, and the only way he can justify his contract is by laying guys out. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's right. true. And, and, and you know, ask any GM in this league if they would take a Jacob Truba or a Tom Wilson on their team. And I know this has become kind of a cliche, but let me get tactical for a second. Tom Wilson change the trajectory of a playoff series when the Capitals won the Stanley Cup by taking out, I think it was uh, Aston Reese, was it, in that in that Penguins yeah. series? Yeah. Um, he did damage, and, and it wasn't the only person that he, that he injured, I think, during that playoff run with a hit. Uh, and sometimes he crosses over the line of legality. In Truba's case, the New York Rangers do not play in the Eastern Conference Final if Sidney Crosby is healthy for the rest of that Penguins series. They're out mm-hmm. in one. They're done. They're going to lose to the Penguins. Uh, Truba's hit changed the trajectory of that series. In this case, it was ruled legal. So to have those guys on your team is to have weaponry that other teams don't have. And whether you like it or not, and whether the Department of Player Safety likes it or not, these guys have an invaluable skill. And the skill is to injure their opponent. And it's not something that we should laud. And it's not something that we should like throw parades for, but it's ignorance to say that it's not a huge factor in determining whether a team sometimes advances in the playoffs. 
uh, I'll go you one step better. I remember having a conversation with one scout who was told at the beginning of the season, find me the next Tom Wilson. And the response back was, of the guys we're all looking at that have the skill to play in the NHL, there is not another Tom Wilson. They just don't exist. Like those, those types of players. Because you know, by, by the time you get to... see The, the, the one thing that... <clears throat> like you look at like the Rasmus Dallin here, the Jacob Truba head, et cetera. We can get back to Tom Wilson is the guy can play. Right. Like to the, to the point now where I was having this, who was I having this, I had this conversation a couple of days ago with someone. Um, and the, the point is now, if you're, if you're someone who wants to get noticed, if you want, if you're like, like Luke Robitaille would always say, it didn't matter where I got drafted. All I knew is I was on a list somewhere. My whole life. I just wanted to be on a list um, I needed to be on a, and I, and I, you know, I, I got drafted where I got drafted, but it didn't matter. Cause I was on a list for the Los Angeles Kings. If you want to get on a list somewhere, you know, everybody can skate now, you know, go to every, every youth hockey, minor hockey rink. You'll come away with one thing. There's no more bad skaters at the, at the elite level. There are no more bad skaters. There's various degrees of elite. Yeah, I was gonna say. That's where I'll it remember is. this. Sta- I remember this statement next summer at the draft when somebody precipitately precipitously falls down the first round because <laughs> of their questionable skating ability. No. To Merrick being like, everyone's an elite skater. Everybody's everybody everybody skates. Right, every everybody skates. I think the one thing that gets you noticed now more than anything else is can you bring some physicality? Because honestly, it feels like and seems like and GM still want and everybody to your point, everybody love to have someone like Petruba on the back end. It's creeping back into the game now. Where once upon a time, you know, you would, you would lay a hit. Sure, you would take that one player out, but you'd also take yourself out. That's why it was always about good stick, good stick, good stick. Now, I mean, who are some of the... who are Interestingly enough, a couple of the better hitters in the game right now are exceptional skaters. One, mm. Rasmus Dahlin. Mm-hmm. The other, Kale McCarr. Mm. We never talk about how, yeah. good a, how good a hitter Kale McCarr is. No. That guy's a great hitter because he's a great skater. Right, like he's not out there trucking guys, but when he lays, like look at the, look at the, the um, like just go to a, a quick YouTube search of Kale McCarr hits. We forget just how thunderous and how efficiently thunderous these body checks are, because he comes away with the puck, it turns over, and the Avalanche are back up the ice. Boom, perfect. I'm in, I'm intrigued to see stylistically how the playoffs change, though. Um, last year we had, I think, three teams, maybe four that averaged over four goals a game in the postseason. You go back 10 years before that, and we had one, and it was the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, And that was in just six games. So I'm intrigued stylistically what happens in the playoffs because I look at a team like the Devils. Now, the Devils right now are as dominant as you could find in the regular season. I've talked to some people. I was talking to a scout at a Ranger game recently about the Devils, and, and he wondered, okay, you're able to do this in the regular season. What happens when the game changes in the postseason? Yep. And I wonder to myself, okay, so when do we start to see a sea change in postseason hockey like we have seen in regular season hockey? Are the last two regular seasons pointing towards a, a decade of firewagon offensive hockey? And does that eventually bleed into the postseason? Or is a team like the Devils going to have to figure out a different way to do things um, in the playoffs because they can't do the same things they do in uh-huh. the regular season? And, and if, you're lo- if you're looking for a canary in a coal mine on this, Merrick, look no further than the Florida Panthers. The Florida Panthers were as dominant yeah. an offensive team as you could find last season. Yeah. Then they had two playoff rounds, and Bill Zito made the tactical decision that they'd have to be less the team of Jonathan Huberdeau and more the team of Matthew Kachuk. Mm-hmm. 
So a few things there. And they almost lost to Washington before bowing out against the, uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning. So I think that in order to be, and this is what defines great teams, and this is where a lot of times I go back to the Islanders, uh, that dynasty team. If you're going to go deep in the playoffs, you have to be able to play more than one way. And you have to be able to adapt from game to game. Like, I'm not someone that believes that there's momentum in the playoffs from game to game. I think they're all standalone events. I'm not sure where you're at on that one, but I think that they're all, they are all standalone <laughs> well, games. I will say this about momentum, sir. There, I, I believe momentum exists in the sense that if you're a team that is psychologically damaged, I'd like to say hello to all my friends in Toronto listening to the broadcast now. <laughs> there is such a thing called momentum in the playoffs because the snowball gets uh, rolling down the hill and there ain't no way to stop the avalanche. I'm not talking yeah. about the team in Colorado. So I do believe that there is momentum in that sense, but please continue. Well, and so I, I think that you need to be able to play a number of different ways and a number of different ways against the same team. And I've always felt that, yeah, you have to have a certain modicum of skill, certainly to get there and to have a deep playoff run, but you also have to be versatile. And the only way you learn that versatility is to go through it. Like, no, it's, that's it's, true. It's very, it's very rare that a team just boom. Out of, and I think this is one of the reasons why you very rarely see the Cinderella story work in hockey. Because in order to get there, do four rounds, you have to play a number of different ways. And the only way you learn how to play different ways is to play different ways. And you're going to have those yep. experiences that carry over to next season and those lessons. That's why there might that's, be a team that like surprises for a couple of rounds. Wow, that's cool. And then boom. Oh, that team just had a part-time job as a wall and we just hit it. <laughs> well, that's that's why the Tampa Bay Lightning should get partial credit for the Colorado, Colorado Avalanche's Stanley Cup. Not only by being the team that was defeated to enable them to win one, but because yeah. they were kind of the light that led the way insofar as you got to lose before you win. You got to figure out how to play in the playoffs. You have to do all these little things in order to make yourself self successful. The Tampa Bay Lightning became a team that looked as comfortable winning one nothing in a game seven over the New York Islanders in yep. the conference final as they did winning a five four game in the in, in the Stanley Cup final. Like they became that team you're talking about that could win no matter what the other team's throwing at you. They were comfortable and calm and collected and not freaking out about them not being able to use their usual brand of Kung Fu in these playoff games. And I think the Avalanche last season did the same thing. You know, when things wouldn't go right in the past, they'd get really frustrated. They couldn't score with the ease that they, they did in the regular season or the ease they did against certain opponents. And they kind of lose their heads a little bit. But to a man, they said, look, we had to reevaluate how we did things. We had to be better defensively and we had to figure out not to put ourselves in bad situations. And when adversity mm -hmm. hit, you handle it. You don't freak out about it. You don't have the weight of previous seasons crushing you. You handle it and move on. Let me go back to the Devils here. Because you knew we were going to get to this topic. If you must. What? <laughs> I know you just loathe talking about the New Jersey Devils. Um, what did you... I, I don't know how you don't like it. What did you make of the Take on Chico video? <laughs> For those who didn't see it, the, so the Devils created a parody of the aha take on me video, you know, with the, uh, this, this what, like comic lead book. pencil animation, yeah. I guess you'd call it graphic or graphite paper animation, uh, in which Chico Resch entered the cartoon world, uh, with NJ devil, their mascot. He here's what I, th I take uh, my, my take on the take on me video is, uh, it's one of the most brilliant and beautiful things I've ever seen on a jumbotron that probably mattered to about 25 people in that building. <laughs> 
<laughs> like it is, a, <laughs> it is a a point of reference that still carries some pop culture relevance. Yeah. Uh, but I think in looking around that arena when I've been to Devils games, not sh- not sure how much aha plays for the current crop of fans that are attending these. Games That's okay. That they were talking. They, they, they were uh, talking to Nico my. Sure. They were talking to my vintage wish because I remember I was in high school when that song came. I was saying this to Elliot off the top. It's like, what does this say about us that we're 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 talking about this thing completely unironically because we were both there for the first game out. Chico Rush, by the way, is is part of that subset of hockey culture that I absolutely adore, which is the iconic local icon. Yep. You know, he, he was a part of devil's broadcast for a very long time, uh, was a member of, of their horrifically bad teams in the 1980s and became kind of the goofy old man that everybody had fun with the guy who'd be on the broadcast with doc Emmerich and, and doc's doing the game. And he's, 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 he's ratcheting up the play by play. And all of a sudden you hear, you know, doc, the premio sausage I had before the second period, boy, that hit the spot. Well, hang on back to the action. Hang on. Pause on that for one second. Because I was trying to figure out what I liked more, the take on Chico video, or remember the old feature that he used to do, Chico Eats, when the Prudential Center Chico opened Eats. up? Oh, well, incredible. Like, was that not the best intermission? And so simple. You know, Elliot thinks right. we should do it with John Garrett at Sportsnet. That's another yeah. great one. But Chico Eats was simply like, simply brilliant and brilliant and simple at the same time. One of the yeah. best intermission features I've ever seen. And and the Devils have two of those guys because Danico is kind of the same way. Like Ken Danico uh-huh. was has, was with the team since the early 1980s. Neither of these guys are are exactly Ray, Ray Ferraro when it comes to the color commentary. <laughs> you know, these guys are not winning the Foster Hewitt Award anytime soon for broadcasting acumen. But they both bring a certain charm to the table, and they both bring a certain local heroism to the table too. And I always love looking around the league and seeing those guys that sort of fit that bill, you know, guys that played for, for those franchises back in the day that, that end up being part of the broadcast team. And, and it's always, it's always lovely. It's always lovely, I, to see, lovely to see local cultural icons as part of the broadcast. So I love it. So the minute that I saw that video last night and it's like the, the whole thing mainly revolves around Chico, obviously, and then Ken Danico is involved in it as well. I thought if this is going to be a theme, and I don't know who created this, like whoever the creative director was who who put this together, bravo. Now, what's next? You know what I kept coming back to? What's that? Remember uh, Paul Simon's Call Me Al? Would you <laughs> yeah. not want to watch Chico Resch and Ken Danico <laughs> reprise that vid- <laughs> as we're going through classic <laughs> videos from the 80s? <laughs> So you just want to go a, a total run of Chico Resch 80s videos, uh, 1980s yeah. MTV parodies. Yeah, I can't wait till they get to Thriller. I can't wait till they get to Chico and Thriller. Oh, I was thinking Sledgehammer. Just have Chico's oh, face. Oh, Peter of the Gabriel. Screen yeah, yeah, yeah. And just do a bunch of claymation or in stop motion around him. Why not? Uh, I love it. Um, speaking of those Devils last night, um, it's <sighs> the team itself is clinical. The team, the team mm-hmm. itself, like is a is a buzzsaw. What really got to me is, uh, and I retweeted this uh, last night or this morning, um, the on-ice interview with Vitek Vanacek. I had no idea how loved he was in in, uh, in Jersey. I had no idea oh, how yeah. much already they adore Vitek Vanacek. Yes. You're closer to it. Well, he has a chantable name. That's true. Right, so they all, they all like to chant Vitek. Um, they they love him uh, because you have to remember the brief history of New Jersey Devils goaltending. When I say New Jersey Devils goaltending, a lot of people are like, "What's the problem?" You had Brodeur for like a hundred years. No, that's mm, true. Before that, though, 
Well, even before that, they had, you know, Sean Burke, Chris Terrier. They had they had some players. But but there was that post-Brodor time when, you know, Corey Schneider and had inherited the mantle, had a, a good season, but then the health caught up with him. And then, you know, the Mackenzie Blackwood years. And then the last two seasons before this one, the Devils tried to find a veteran to complement Blackwood. And they, they signed Corey Crawford, who yep. decided he didn't Call want to play anymore. And, and so he did not. Uh, they signed uh, uh, Jonathan Bernier, who played 11 games and then was out with with a bad hip, and and who knows what his future is going to be. Um, so the, the, both of those veteran uh, busts, for lack of a better term, really set the team back. I mean, the, 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 a lot of the good things the Devils are doing now, they were also doing last season, but it was completely subverted by horrific goaltending that had them, I think, at the end of the day, playing up upwards of like seven eight, nine different goalies last season. So mm-hmm. Vanacek comes in via trade from the Capitals and not only stabilizes the position with, with Blackwood Hurd, but is great. Like you, you could make the argument right now of, of the crop of off-season goaltending acquisitions. I mean, it's what, him and Matt Murray Matt at this Murray. point? Yeah, him and Matt yeah. Murray. Um, you know, because the other ones have been varying degrees of, of average or bad. And so, yeah, there's a there's a sort of cult hero status being bestowed upon him. But I want to pause on on the devils and and clinical. Sure. I, I'm doing a thing on the the best lines um, in the the NHL for my column tomorrow on okay. ESPN. Dallas is number one. That remains to be seen, but <laughs> but they're up there. So I'm digging into the numbers, man. Just don't okay. I, I ain't feeding into the narrative. I'm digging All into right. the numbers. Okay. The Devils' top two lines, and they've they've juggled them a little bit, but we'll we'll go with these two as their their two primary lines. Yeah. Uh, Eric Walla, Jack uh, Jack Hughes, uh, Jesper Bratt, mm-hmm. Fabian Zetterlund, Nico Heischer, Tomas Tatar. Mm-hmm. Uh, their top line with Hughes, one point five expected goals against per sixty. Their second line with Heischer, one point seven two expected goals per sixty. That's like Bergeron line good. Yep. Like they're it's incredible. Incredible mm-hmm. how efficient their their top two lines, and if you want to extend it Who? to like their checking line too, like yeah. they've been so good defensively beyond well beyond what anyone I think anticipated for them. Who 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 gets the tougher assignments of those two lines? Have you, you know got, what happened? Have, have, have you gotten, gotten that deep? So I've done eleven of the lines. This is going to be kind of a spoiler, but I've not gotten to either of the Devils lines yet. So I am intrigued to see quality of competition wise. Which is which? I imagine Heischer's line gets the tougher assignments than the Hughes line. I would think so, um, but I don't know. You would think so, but but I I don't think they have any fear in putting Jack's line out there. And again, the, I don't know if we discussed Hughes recently um, on on this show, but like it stuck with me that early in the season, I had a scout tell me that Jack Hughes's offense, de- I'm sorry, defensive game is sort of reminiscent of what Mark Stone does now. Like Stone gets really low and sneaky and picks the puck off a guy's sticks, mm-hmm. takes it the other way for a scoring attempt. And you watch Jack Hughes play, and it's the same kind of game. Like, he is a pickpocket now. He is adept at it. Um, and he is uh, he's really ele- elevated his defensive game in a way that I didn't anticipate happening this early for a player that's still pretty young. One of the things to look for, um, as I've been told by a number of different people, one of the things to look for when you're, uh, when you're looking for players like Stone, like Hughes, um, stripping pucks, and, you know, lifting sticks and stripping pucks. He said, <clears throat> you can tell the guys that really know from the guys that don't really quickly. And I said, how? 
And he said, where do they lift the stick? Mm. He said, some guys will lift the stick, you know, uh, a couple of feet up or a foot up. He goes, the guys, and this is where like your dad sucks come into it, who may have been the best, better than any of them all. He goes, watch what they do. They lift the stick right at the bottom of the heel. So the minute their stick lifts, the other person's stick lifts up, their blade is already on the puck. On, on they the puck, don't, right. They don't oh, yeah. have to move. He goes, watch right. Datsuk. Datsuk was the master. It would be right at the heel, and your stick's already on the puck, and it's like, whoa, he did that fast. Like, yeah, look where he lifted up the stick. It's one of those, like, tiny little things that, you know, the guys that play and guys that know know. It's just one thing that I've always sort of watched for. Where are you lifting up the stick? They're the really elite guys tend to do it right at the heel. So right away, boom, and they're gone. I'm, I'm guessing Jack Hughes is that guy. He is that guy. You know, that sick reminds me, I was thinking about this during the Hall of Fame induction recently. Like, I'm really, really excited for when he's eligible because I think he's going to get in um, personally. Mm-hmm. I think he's got a better chance of getting in than, than uh, Henrik Zetterberg does. I think, they both, but I'm, I, I'm, think, I think they probably both go. You think they? You think Zetterberg gets in? I th- I think I, th- I think there's there's. I mean, I shouldn't say because I'm not on that committee, but I, I would think that they will both. I think that they will both go. I think it's gonna be a that, ton, ton. This still, yeah. I I, th- I think Zetterberg goes, and I think Datsuk goes. Datsuk definitely. Like Datsuk's an iconic player in my mind. Like Datsuk, I think more than Zetterberg fulfills the fame quotient of the Hall of Fame. Um, but I'm I'm ready. I was gonna say I'm I'm ready for the sort of like celebratory reexamination of his career and his impact as a player. Cause I really do think that he is a much like Bergeron for a, a, a subsection of, of players that have come through the league in the last 20 years, like the model, like, like, like you're stealing stuff from Pavel Datsuk as you're watching him, or at least attempting to. Mm-hmm. And I always love those sort of like iconic players that are, are inspirational touchstones for the players that are like them that come later, like the, the defensive guys that we've seen come through in the last 15 years and how many of them were inspired or tried to pattern their game or steal tricks away from Pavel you Datsuk know, while watching him growing up. I remember I remember having a conversation with uh, about Pavel Datsuk with Brad May because Brad played with him on, on the Detroit Red Wings. And one of right. the things that he said to me was, and this is kind of weird because I'm always curious, like, you know, how different players work out. Like, how do they, how do they train? And I asked him about Datsuk and he said, I don't know. He does it by himself. He doesn't work out. He doesn't let anyone out. He, he, Mayday was like, yeah, you know, hey, May, Pavel, come work out with you. And Pavel's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I work out by myself, no one else. So, like, it's one of, like, it's like the, for him, it was, like, one of the great mysteries. Like, what does he do? He, like, he would he would vanish. He'd come back. His, like, dry fit would be soaked. <laughs> it's like, Pav just did his workout. What was it? No one knows. It's like the opposite of Yager. Like, yeah, Yager, <laughs> I'm going to put Yager's on a show, yeah. Be- yeah, Yager's running the arena Here stairs. Here comes and the like, weight vest, and I'm doing stairs yeah, in front of everybody. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's like, using the rafters of the arena like monkey bars. Like, he's doing everything, yeah. and then Datsuk's, like, the mystery. Now, here's the other thing, too, about Datsuk, um, because now we're kind of creeping into this generation of players who came up post-canceled uh, season. Is he the most iconic uh, shootout guy as far as, like, potential Hall of Fame candidates? Ooh. Probably he's like the father, the father, wow, the father yeah. of the shootout, isn't he? <laughs> right. I think of who else would be. Well, you know what? For for, a, for about a year and a half, you know who it was? Who? Sam Gagne. Remember Sam <laughs> Gagne and Nikolai Habibulin? Remember well, like, the, like, about- like a, a million, a million for a year and a half? Everybody else, everybody was like, "Holy smokes, Sam Gagne is amazing at this!" Like the if hands you're of at Gagne. Guys that are, I was thinking like Hall of Fame guys, but if you're talking about like just general shootout 
anybody. Like Linus Olmark. Well, no, it's got to be TJ Oshie. Like Oshie, Oshie's the guy if you're talking yeah. about just the shootout. I mean, much like our friend uh, Trevor Zegris, the Oshie was a thing. Like the Oshie was a move. It was just the move that he had. It was unstoppable. Yeah, but no, we that, also that, in so- that, that's like probably the guy because you're always like, that was that was appointment television. That was must-see. Oh, like yeah. Pavel Datsuk at the dot. Oh, yeah. Like there was, and that's the thing too. We've, we've said this before. Like that, this was the greatest luxury for Mike Babcock. Like your two best offensive players are also your two best defensive players. Good luck losing a matchup. Yeah, and there were years when Datsuk didn't even play on the PK. That was one of the years where um, he might have fell short of the Selkie because Babcock decided not to use him on the PK. That was a usage issue. It wasn't obviously because Pavel Datsuk can't play defense. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about that the other day, by the way, this PK thing. Um, okay. So we just had the the Leafs and and the Stars play, and and, yep. and that created a little bit of a of of debate in the uh, who you got uh, Jason Robertson or Mitch Marner kind of discussion because of their mm-hmm. respective offensive seasons so far. I was surprised to see Robertson doesn't kill penalties. That's got to be tactical, right? Because I imagine it could, couldn't he? Uh, I know he's always sensitive when you say, oh, he, he doesn't he doesn't skate at an elite level um, because his skating has really, really improved since he played in Kingston in, in, the, uh, in, in the OHL. I wonder if that's just like because I look at Rupe Hins and I say, depending on deployment this year, like Rupe Hins could be in the conversation for the Selkie. Like I look at mm-hmm. Rupe Hins and I say, like, that's a really good defensive player. Don't know that I've ever said that about Jason Robertson or thought that about Jason Robertson. So it's less, it's less. Let's let's keep the uh, the battery charged for your 40, 45 goals you're going to score versus yeah i think that's all uh, at the window maybe i think that's all out the window now don't you think that's all at the window now this idea oh we got to save him for five on five he can't be out there killing penalties because look at marner i mean marner's been killing and he's been killing penalties for a while too and he's last time i checked he's still got a lot of juice left and late in the third period like so oh so how do you feel so should we rethink this whole kind of because uh, there was a day when, like, your f- third and fourth line were populated with guys that would okay. be your PK specialists, so, and that know, certainly y- isn't today. Y- you know when I first noticed this? I'm glad you brought You know when I first noticed this? And it really became what? a thing. It was at the end of one of the Edmonton Oilers seasons. Now, what Edmonton used to always do for their um, first unit penalty kill is they would throw out, uh, who was it? Um, Korpakoski. What, what year is it? It was Korpakoski, it was Korpakoski and Hendricks. This might have been Connor McDavid's first or second year. Tail end of the Taylor Hall era. Yes. And they would throw Korpakoski and Matt Hendricks out there. And what they would do is what penalty killers at that point. And that wasn't like, like, wish that wasn't that frail. That wasn't long. It feels like a million years ago. And it was like five minutes ago. Right. (laughs) And what they would do is they'd be out there doing what normal and traditional penalty killers do. And that is go out there and block shots, which, yeah, the puck doesn't get to the net, but the puck stays in the zone. And towards the end of the season, I think it was usually on the second unit. An Oilers fan listening right now will correct me quickly because they're all over this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. They p- started putting out Connor McDavid and Ryan Nugent Hopkins, and they were super effective. Now, they weren't going getting in front of shots, but they were thinking the game at a different level. And they had the ability to strip pucks, pick off pucks, anticipate where pucks were going, and they became a really effective penalty kill unit. And it flew in the face of everything that we've always thought about penalty killers. Like, we're, re- we're in this process now. Like, you mentioned, like, transition. The game is transitioning because we're rethinking all these different positions and what these players are supposed to do. And that was the first time where I looked at it and I said, I wonder if the league is more of the league is going to head this way. Less guys that are just blocking shots and more guys that are thinking the game. 
and the ability to pick off pucks and get it down the ice. Or so even create a scoring chance. The irony of this, as I look at the Edmonton Oilers uh, numbers this season, the irony of this is their top four forwards on the PK this year are Matthias Janmark, Ryan McLeod, yeah. uh, Kyler Yamamoto, Yamamoto and, and Ryan Nugent Hopkins. So the, the new Nuge is obviously like a, a pretty accomplished offensive player, but, but both Leon and guy. Connor, yeah. both Leon and Connor are under a minute on average on the, uh, on the penalty kill per game. Yeah. I mean, I, so I, they're, 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 they're the, they've gone the other way, which is to kind of specialize guys like Yanmark and McLeod mm-hmm. to be your PK guys. What did I, I, I told you about my idea about the, uh, the penalty kill ends a penalty. penalty kill you know, goal. Chances are you have. Have you, you've heard this one from me before, haven't you? I think we've had this conversation. That what? That if you score a goal, if you score a shorthanded goal, the penalty should end? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And 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 I think you would agree that uh, also we should go back to two-minute majors, right? I'm fine with that. It was changed yeah. in the so 50s there, for now, Habs. Like, now was... you have upped. Imagine how much you've upped the stakes of a penalty of a penalty kill. Mm-hmm. Kill If you score a, a shorthanded goal, that ends what could be two that minutes ends a, a two of min- Connor and Leon scoring as many goals yes. as they want against it your team. It ends a two-minute major. Yeah. So you up? Yeah, how much, you, how, I know that'd be cool. How great would that I be? Know, I know it would. It would. Uh, I know we're the, so the, Greg. The, we're so smart. That's the problem. We're so smart, man. We're just so smart. We're like, man, just give us the league already. Just let us run these manager meetings. Do you really want the league? No, you have to put up with all that. That's money. a lot of head. You and I would. Here's here's what you get if you if you got the league. You got to sit in the front row of a Tempe City Council meeting and listen to some <laughs> wackadoo talking about how the planes are too loud and they'll get louder if you build the arena. Like that's what you got to do if you run the league. There there are perks and there are certainly drawbacks. Yes, and that's right at the very end of your day. And then you hop back on your plane and you go home. I know. Right. I know, I know, I know. I, I just like to listen. Like like you, I like to sit in the back seat and just lob ideas into the front and say, now, look, you I'll deal this, with it. I'll say this about Bettman, though, and, and hi to the NHL front office people listening. I love you guys. He loves to travel. I was talking to somebody with the league earlier this year, and, like, Gary Gary was doing things like going to see a game at MSG, hopping on a plane, going to see a game in L.A., hopping back on the plane, coming back east. Yeah. That guy likes to get out there when he has the opportunity to see – to see the product in action and to, you know, say, Hey, and slap some hands and give him credit for that. I, I think it's also to do local business and check in with the people that are responsible. I mean, he works technically, even though he, he conducts technically, he still does work for the owners. It's never a bad idea to go see them a couple times a year. Did you see that thing today about how uh, Aaron judge Got paid. What was it like three hundred and sixty? Was it three hundred sixty million? Yeah, three hundred sixty million dollars by the Yankees and the Red Sox, or uh, the Fenway Group spent nine hundred million dollars on the Penguins. Yep, <laughs> it's a little bit of a difference. Puts things in perspective, don't it? A little, little, little perspective, uh, a little perspective here and there. Um, all right, a couple more, a couple more things uh, before. What time we got here? Oh, I got like five minutes left. With this is good. Um, you have a thought on the Avalanche right now? And if you're the Colorado Avalanche, are you considering what's just happened with Nathan McKinnon? We all know that the Avalanche eventually are going to make a move for a center. Hello, Chicago. Hello, Vancouver. Uh, does this speed things along? I mean, five of their top six forwards are out. Tonight, they're going to face a very ornery Boston Bruins team who just lost to the Vegas Golden Knights, their first loss at home this season. If you're Colorado... Given how good Dallas is, how good Winnipeg is, how Minnesota's won a bunch of games in a row now, too, does this move things along? Or are you still cool as a cucumber with the defending Stanley Cup champions? We don't rush into anything. 
Baby, they're as cool as the other side of the pillow. Um, they are, they know inherently that when they are at full capacity, they can be one of, if not the best team in the league. Um, and now it's just a matter of scratching and clawing and staying close until McKinnon gets back and mm-hmm. Kushkin gets back and, and eventually hopefully Landis Cog. Um, I don't think it, it does them any good to try to make a move now. Um, I think the move will come closer to the trade deadline. I, I just think you maintain for the next couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Stay within four, five points of, of the wild card, and then know inherently that when everybody gets back, you're gonna you're gonna roll in. And 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 look, you're not gonna win the president's trophy, most likely. And that's I don't fine. think you, you care. Don't need to. I don't think you care. You don't care. You you are now you are now the L.A. Kings. You get into the last wild card and you know it doesn't matter if you don't have home ice. It doesn't matter who you play. Your kung fu is the strongest mm. and you'll be able to beat anybody if you're healthy. But to answer your to ask another question from your question, sir. Yes, sir. You a, you a Taves guy? You a Horvat guy? Who do you think is the essential number two center for the Avalanche? Who would you want? <sighs> Horvat is going to cost you more. Yes, definitely Hor- would. Hor- Horvat will cost you more, but... I would maintain that if I'm, and again, as long as it's not going to cost you Byram, it's not going to cost you New Hook, but it might. Uh, I, I I would go Bo Horvat over Jonathan Taves. What about is you? Is there a ch- is well? I, I mean, I I think I think I probably would too. Um, the, the Avalanche are obviously entering their uh, cap unfriendly. Half unfriendly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got like Rantan at, at nine two five. You got you got yeah. McKinnon at twelve twelve six. You've got obviously McCarr at nine, which is probably going to end up being one of the greatest bargain contracts in NHL history. Yep. With the way that he's trending, is there a chance that if you were to get your hooks into Horvat and put him on this team, he decides to stick around? Oh, I don't know if you have it. I don't know if you have the space. I know even even with the cap going up, because. Because what do you figure Horvat's going to be on another team eight by seven, right? Easy. Maybe maybe north of that because that kind of center Ooh. isn't always available. Ooh. By the well, okay. Let's let's re- 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 recontextualize that question, that, that comment though. Um, it also depends on whether teams see this as his singing for a supper year. Because no, no, I get that. I, 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 oh boy, I, no, is I this know. is this ever a contract oh, performance? This is a, a this is such a fantastic season for Bo Horvat. Um, I don't. If they make that move, I don't know if they can afford them. Again, I don't have, I don't have their uh, their spreadsheet in front of me for their salary commits. But can they squeeze in an uh, an eight times seven, or an eight point five times seven? I mentioned this on the radio in Vancouver this morning. And if I was to fantasy cast a guy for the Colorado Avalanche, and the the cap considerations weren't what they are, and I could I can convince him to leave one of the most livable areas on earth to go take his talents elsewhere. Mm-hmm. I would send seal team six in to put Logan Couture behind Nathan McKinnon for the next five seasons. I, I how much, think, how much would San Jose have to eat? Well, he's, he makes 8 million per the biggest, the biggest issue is that he's got like everybody else. There are signs of contract in San Jose. A lot, of term. A lot of term. And he's got he's the eight's not the worst cap hit in the world. They probably have to eat a bit of it, but I mean, my God, could you, could you imagine that one, two punch? Like I would, yeah. I would take Logan Couture on my team in a millisecond because I think that guy does. I've never seen some, I've never dealt with somebody. I should say 
that is more determined to succeed and gets more salty. I come to think of it, Merrick, he kind of he's kind of McKinnon now that I think about it. Like he's got, <laughs> he's got that same thing where he just gets so cranky about his teammates. Yeah. But it's a great thing. Like it's it's demanding excellence at all times. Maybe maybe you don't want them together. I don't know. Maybe that's that's two that's two alphas. No, no, no. I like no, I, I, I like cranky hockey players. Then you know what? And yeah. hire Ryan Kessler as a consultant. Give me all all the crank. I want and Chris Pronger comes in as well as an advisor. Just I want all team cranky. I want it miserable to go to the rink, complain about everything from the coffee to the ice conditions to how cold it is in the building. All of it. That's what I want. What I mean? Team no, like, cranky. He's he's a great player, a cost player, yeah. and and an absolute like leader. I mean, I I I. I, I it's one of the bummers about the the Sharks not being relevant anymore is to not have him play important games because his playoff runs were, were something special. Like, I'd do anything to, to see that guy as a second-line center on a, on a cup-contending team. I'm going to say something that's going to make you miss working with me on a daily basis. Meh. You ready? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Logan Couture. <laughs> so much of a loser I am. Logan Couture. When he was born, do you know who the delivering nurse was? No, Merrick, I don't know who the delivering one is. Bernadette Dvorsky of the NHL officials Dvorsky family. <laughs> wow. Destined to be an NHLer wish. Incredible. And I imagine I imagine uh, Paul Dvorsky was there but didn't see the birth. <laughs> no, missed it. Play on. No, missed it. Missed that one. Just happened to miss it. Oh, wait, what? what? Oh, all right, well. No video Carry review. On, no, no video review on births. Sorry. Uh, sorry, I wish. We're not... Not going to video on that one. All right, uh, you scamper. Enjoy the rest of your day. Enjoy the seven games tonight around the NHL as you enjoy New Jersey, whether it's the AHA, take on me video, take on Chico video, or the uh, 3 nothing beating of the uh, Chicago Blackhawks. Enjoy your hockey this evening. Wish. Indeed. Take care, Merrick. All right, man, you be good. Uh, Greg Wyshynski every Wednesday here on, uh, on the Merrick Show, a little MVSW time.